Hey-ho, everybody. Andy here, just saying hi, and welcome to an impromptu and rather very special episode of The Palace of Glittering Delights. Michael Bailey and I were recently recording one of our usual Overlooked Dark Knight episodes when we started chatting about the recent Doctor Who trilogy of 60th anniversary specials, consisting of, oh god, what were they called? The first one was the one with the, the, the thingy yeah, and then it was Wild Blue Yonder, and then it was The Giggle. Yeah, I can't remember what the first one's called. Doesn't matter. We're, we have a chat about all things Who in relation to these three anniversary specials and a great many other things, as you will hear as you go through. Every now and again, there's a politics, as Ben Elton used to say, and we end on what I thought was quite a funny political joke. But if you don't like that kind of thing, you can just turn off when you hear the TARDIS sound effect and everyone will be good. Here's me and Mike talking about the recent trilogy of Doctor Who specials. Enjoy. Is anybody out there? Roll up! Roll up! Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, books, comics, sci-fi, So yeah, Rachel and I just finished watching uh, The Giggle. Uh, I, I I don't think Neil Patrick Harris has had as much fa- fun playing anything as he has in this special. <laughs> I thought he was a bit wasted. He just kind of didn't really amount to much at the end of it, did he? Which no. Um, it's funny because I'm not I'm not the Who fan you are. Um, I, I, I didn't grow up with it. Uh, so it, my attachment to it is all new, new who, which, which sounds like a laugh. Really? It does. Uh, and, um, I enjoyed the first two specials, uh, very much. I, I liked last one, last week's a lot. I thought they, when it's funny, the doctor who I enjoy the most is when, it gets really creepy. Mm. And I, I thought last week's was creepy. Yeah. Up until it wasn't anymore, yeah. which is a shame. But watching the two, the the Donna and the Doctor doubles, like stretching and getting all weird and stuff, I was just like, okay, that that this is what I come to it. And I felt the same way with the dolls in this one. I was like, yeah. okay, this is <laughs> this is good and proper creepy. Yeah, it's it's interesting what he did with all three. Like the first one was just it could have been an episode from when Donna was in it originally. Mm-hmm. He shows up and you're instantly into the adventure. And I thought it was a rip roaring. I think I texted you the minute it finished. It hasn't fizzed like this in five years. Yeah, and I don't dislike the Jodie era at all. I think she, I love Jodie Whittaker. Mm-hmm. I've watched loads of stuff with Jodie Whittaker in. I think she's a fine actress. And when she's interviewed, she just comes across as the most effervescent, bubbly person in the world. But I think it's true to say that it it hasn't. It hasn't popped with that much joy in years as that first special. And for the most part, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I had problems with a bit at the end that... A lot of people had a problem with, but I had a problem with it for a different reason. Okay. A lot of people focused on the male-facing Time Lord bit, which was a clunky bit of dialogue, let's be honest. I didn't have a problem with it, though. It made me smile. The bit I had a problem with is that we can do something that a male-fronting person can't do. We can let it go. And I looked at Angela and <laughs> laughed, and she just gave me a death glow. <laughs> Because, famously, women not very good at that. I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. Yeah, I yeah, I'm just sitting over here wondering. <laughs> no, it's just so the first special I liked, like you said, because it felt like a like a, a David Tennant Donna episode. Um, something weird is going on. Uh, 
I, I I think the thing that hurt the first one the most was that it looked too clean. Uh, <laughs> like I, I wanted I certainly wanted Camden see, did. Yeah, I wanted to see. I wanted to see like neverwhere, uh, like like sets and stuff, <laughs> running mm. around like on video essentially. And no, it looked, it, not anymore. It looked really really nice. Uh, Especially like the stuff he was doing with the the sonic screwdriver and like creating images and you know like out of nothing and um, love that the sonic screwdriver can now do video chat. Yeah, apparently. Well, that you know, like why can't it do it before? Um, and the second one, I thought, okay, this is this is getting more into like a Matt Smith episode almost. It was uh, a typical Doctor Who. We're trapped somewhere remote. Yeah. And there's a threat here. And I enjoyed those Matt Smith episodes the most, almost, uh, because I think it it put the Doctor in a position like we really have to say, you know, like mm. th- there's actual drama and, and and danger. Yeah, this one began again like a David Tennant episode, <laughs> like in the past, showing something mm-hmm. creepy happening. Uh. I really enjoyed Donna seeing what happened after her. Uh, mm. You know, like, like, wait, that happened? <laughs> well, there's lots, there's loads to unpack throughout all three of them. Yeah, the second yeah. one, I thought for the first half of it, it was genuinely one of the most creepy things mm-hmm. Doctor Who has ever done. Um, yeah, I was like, this is a bit like the idea of being at the edge of nowhere and yeah. nothing around you and there's no one around, I thought was really well handled. Um, he's, obviously, he has been somewhere like that before. And in the original script, Russell did mention that and he cut yeah, it Yeah, I out. saw that. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was interested when I saw that. It was all of those people who was like, well, did he not know that in episode seven of season 17? Of the... Yeah, but yes, he does know that because he's Russell T. Davis. So, you know, <laughs> and he's right to cut that stuff for regular viewers. He really is. They don't care that Tom Baker went to the end of nowhere. Yeah. They're not bothered. This, the new one, if the master is Moriarty to the Dr. Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Russell T. Davis really loved the Joker. Yes. <laughs> because essentially that's what John Sim was doing when he was the master. He was very influenced by Heath Ledger. And then you've got Neil Patrick Harris here doing pretty much the same shtick, but doing it magnificently because Neil Patrick Harris is brilliant. Yeah. I liked that they lent into the inherent racism that's implied in the original story. I've not seen the original story because it doesn't exist, but certainly it is is part of that whole 60s ethos of a lot of BBC shows, and not just BBC shows, lots of television of the time, um, having white actors, either black up or play Orientals or whatever, and it looking a little bit askance nowadays. That's not slagging off the past. That's not saying anybody did anything wrong in the past. That is saying it was the past. And maybe we should acknowledge that we're not in the past anymore. And I like that he did that in the opening episode where he said, uh, the actually as the time maker says, it's probably a little cold for you. And the guy's like, I was born in Nottingham. I thought yeah. that was a lovely little bit. Neil Patrick Harris was great all the way through it until suddenly he wasn't the important thing. But I loved seeing all the unit. I love seeing that you. I loved the doctor's like, oh, I remember your dad trying to keep unit a secret, and now look at it, <laughs> which was great. That they kept that um, Bonnie Langford was in this a secret was amazing. I was because we knew she was there. There's been reports that she's been on set. And she's done interviews where she openly talked about working with Shuti Gatwa. She didn't mention she also worked with David Tennant. Ah. Which was a nice bit of sleight of hand from Ms. Langford. Uh, But it was lovely to see Mel again. And it was one of them, if you were around back when she was cast, it was not looked upon very well. Do you know who Bonnie Langford is? No. uh, I was was waiting for you to stop so I could go, look, um, this is where... Uh, me is not the fan of classic who 
Uh, not that there's anything wrong with Classic Who. I just haven't no, watched no, no. it. No, I just want to... I, I don't want people coming. Like, I'm sure there's, like, new Who fans out there that are kind of, like, snobby about the past. Uh, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I just haven't watched anything. Um, but uh, what which doctor was she uh, companion to? Bonnie Langford was companion to Colin Baker and then Sylvester McCoy. Okay. So she crossed over two different doctors. The thing with Bonnie Langford is... She's a national treasure. Now. <laughs> she started acting when she was three. She has done everything. Literally everything. She has been on the Broadway stage from being very, very young. She has performed with everyone you can ever imagine in that arena, in the theatre arena. She has done the London stage. She's done everything from musicals. She's not done a lot of film. She's done a lot of TV. But for a long time, she was saddled with the precocious child stigma because of a role she did in when she was about 12. She did, oh, I can't even remember the show, but as cats, the thing that she's remembered for is I'll scream and scream and scream until I'm thick. And that just stuck with her. And she always had this kind of reputation as being a bit light entertainment, a bit, you know, and that was looked down upon by the Doctor Who fans of the day. Up to 40 years later, she's pretty much become, you know, she can sing, she can dance. She's been on The Masked Dancer, or is it The Masked Singer? And everyone was like, Jesus, that's Bonnie Langford. She's still a fantastic dancer in her 60s. She did a long stint on EastEnders, for which she won numerous awards. And she she was one of those people for whom Doctor Who was barely a blip on her career. Do you know, she did it. She did it for a year. She wasn't embarrassed that she did it. She quite enjoyed doing it. But then she went away and carried on with her career and never thought about it again and didn't know that she was hated throughout all of fandom. <laughs> and then slowly over time, as she's become more... No, we should embrace Bonnie Langford because she's brilliant. She's made her way to conventions thanks to a couple like Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred who were the doctor and the companion that followed her, have said, no, no, you should come along. There's, there's a lot of fun. And she's slowly been embraced because she's just adorable and lovely and so smart and knows what's going on. So to have her come back and actually be a character this time, instead of us being told she's a computer programmer who never went near a computer. And we got more backstory about her in this one episode than we did in the entire time she was in the show. Because in the show... Again, you won't know this, not being a new old Who viewer. She just appeared. It was in the middle of the whole Colin Baker trial of a Time Lord season. And suddenly they cut to forward when they're giving evidence that the Doctor is evil and should be exterminated. And they cut to and he suddenly got this new companion who's Mel, played by Bonnie Langford. And they never filled in the backstory where she came from. She was just suddenly there because they're showing the Doctor stuff from his future that he knows about, obviously, but we've never seen. And she just carried on. So we never got a backstory on her. So this backstory that we got here, not only did they wrap up where she was, all that stuff with Savalon Glitz was where they left her, but that stuff that she's got no family and she's an orphan. We didn't know any of that, or I didn't, unless that's in any of the novels. So to have her back and it be a big surprise like that was was great. And it makes sense that Unit would recruit former companions. Oh, yeah. Who, who know what they're doing. And if she was, like I said, she was introduced as a computer programmer, but never did anything. She was a computer programmer because 1986, it was cool to be a computer programmer. So having her, though, was great. And I'm wondering if she's actually going to come back at some point. Because what I think, the long-mooted unit spin-off is going to go ahead. But what everybody didn't get was David Tennant's going to be in it. Oh. Is my thinking because I had this pegged from ages ago, and I've actually got a tweet to shag where I said, This is what I think is going to happen, and I almost nailed it 100%. Oh, very good. Yeah, I um, it, it was like in Joey's last episode when a couple of the older companions showed up, yeah. Um, and my favorite part of that was when what's her name kind of flirted with uh, with Graham, uh, and I'm like, you know what? Egan. They're, they're they're probably about the same age, so this yeah. this tracks. <laughs> and and Graham's lost his partner, so yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, but it's one of those things where I, I, I like that the show is embracing more of the old stuff, even though I'm not familiar with it. Like when Tennant in the first special put the wig on, I didn't realize that was a reference. That's Tom Beckett at that. Yeah. And, um, I, it doesn't matter, does it? If you didn't know Tom Becker did that, it was still funny. Well, and and the thing is, I think all of the references were extremely clever because they never, outside of Mel, but him reuniting with Mel is something you want to hang a lantern on. You know, you want, yeah. and, and, and for Tennant being such a Who fan, I mean, it's just, he, he keeps getting to work with, you know, it's like... It, I never saw a single Sarah Jane episode of Doctor Who yet from how they presented that episode in Tennant's first series. I got, oh, this is important. This is like, hmm. this is like a huge deal. Uh, and you see it in his eyes and you see it in how the characters are kind of reacting to each other. I always liked watching companions, old, previous companions interacting with <laughs> newer companions because it's just this kind hmm. of... There's a jealousy there almost, but also like, a, yeah, we've seen some shit, haven't we? <laughs> so, well, well, in this one, where she, I thought I was your first redhead. <laughs> now, both of them seem to be ignoring that Peter Davison had a male companion called Tolo, who was also a redhead, but we'll just gloss over that. Well, you know, he's a male redhead, so he's the worst of the gingers. No, and it's just like yeah. I remember watching Well, he did try to kill the doctor. So. <laughs> the first uh the first special I remember seeing like story by such and such and Dave Gibbons and I'm like okay, is there another guy named Dave Gibbons that's working on See, I had no idea that the meep was part of the comics. I will however say as soon as it showed up, I'm like I'm not trusting this. This is the bad guy cuz it's cute. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, well, again, even if you don't haven't read the comic, Angela twigged that twist as well. Angela's yeah. like, right, that's going to be the bad guy the minute that it appeared on screen. Um, because it was also, again, this is another thing that maybe you wouldn't have got, but recognising that the voice was Miriam Margolis, you're like, all right, Miriam Margolis is going to be the bad guy. <laughs> so Here's one of those things in it where you, if there's a big name guest star in it, there's a reason that that big name guest star is there. You know, and, and I, I was thinking today, I was of, of how much uh, after getting into Doctor Who, watching the 50th anniversary episode uh, and just kind of enjoying that, like for a moment, even though it was on screen, all the doctors were kind of together. And then there was mm -hmm. the big, and I asked Shag about this, actually. I go, how big of a deal was it that Capaldi showed up? And did Massive. The, yeah. <laughs> like I, I know it's a song from a from a different religion, but I can only imagine. Uh, mm. And what I loved about all three specials is that all like it felt celebratory. I don't think it went far enough, but I can't think of a way outside of just simple fan service that it could have done more. Because, like, having Rose have dolls of all the companions, uh, and, you know, that was very clever because you didn't notice it until it was pointed out to you. Uh, all of the stuff, because TikTok has been very informative for me on the references that I missed. Because <laughs> people are doing TikToks about, you know, oh, this is this and that is that. That's how I found out about the the wig thing being a reference. Uh, but yeah. like you said, the great thing about it is it doesn't matter. It just looks like he's having fun at the expense of the British government. Um, well, there's a, there's, again, you're getting Disney plus money pumped into this, but you're all only getting the episodes. This deal is getting worse all the time. You're not getting Doctor Who unleashed on Disney plus. You could probably get it on YouTube which is a 30-minute thing afterwards where they go behind the scenes. And you're not getting the screen-specific video commentaries that are going on iPlayer. And I watched the one for the first special, and Tennant is banging on about how that was awful. That um, having to put the barrister's wig on was a nightmare because it crushed all his hair, which has all that 
product yeah. in it. So he said, if you watch carefully, the minute that I take it off, there's a quick cut there. We had to take a 15-minute break while the her and costume people put my <laughs> hair back. Which was brilliant. I love that. No, but, but Rachel and I were talking about it. Uh, and I was like, on one hand, it's it's convenient that Tennant gets to exist in his own TARDIS with everything separate from what's happening with the new Doctor. But I'm like, it's not any sillier than anything else they've ever done. It's not any sillier than them resetting the regeneration cycle just so that they could cast another... I don't know, dude. I I laughed out loud at him taking the hammer to the TARDIS. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was ridiculous funny as angela said it's harley quinn's hammer yes it's 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 harley quinn's mallet (laughs) exactly Mm. no i just it was just kind of nice the ending was very sweet very calm um it wasn't you know matt smith walking into a room with with david Tennant and all the other not doctors (laughs) like at the end of the 50th anniversary special uh, and um, sadly, there is no shot of you standing ram- sitting ramrod straight up when Tom Baker comes onto the screen, like there was in the 50th anniversary special. I did not move. <laughs> the only reason I thought of that is that in my memories today was Rachel filming me during the crisis crossover of the two Superman fighting, and mm. how I was just sitting there, <laughs> like not moving. <laughs> Not mm. losing my mind like, you know, first reaction videos supposedly are. And then at the end, just clapping a little bit. <laughs> I was like, this is this is Andy seeing Tom Baker. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the same. That's why those first reaction videos just always feel inauthentic to me or unreal. If it's your first reaction, you wouldn't have that reaction. Yeah. You're mostly just gobsmacked. And that's what it when Tom Baker's voice came on. I just looked at Ange. And then look back at the screen, and then I got to the edge of the settee, and I did not move for that entire scene <laughs> because it was it was genuinely something I didn't think we'd ever see. Because mm-hmm. all the other guys will come back, and as we've seen, yeah, Peter Davison seems quite happy to put the cricket whites back on at any available opportunity. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he's now David Tennant's father-in-law has probably got nothing to do with it, but. Tom Tom's always resisted it. I mean, he's never stopped playing the Doctor with audio players and all that kind of thing. But he's always kind of resisted coming back to it on screen. He's always been quite happy to do audio and stuff. But I don't know whether it's his thinking that his appearance has changed too much or he doesn't want to spoil the illusion or whatever it was. But the fact that they actually got him to come back and do an on-screen appearance was it, it was everything. And these, none of these 60th specials really equaled that at any point. Yeah. But I don't think that was the point of these ones. The 50th was to celebrate 50 years of the show. Despite Colin Baker, who was the sixth Doctor's protestations that it was a celebration of David Tennant and Matt Smith, it wasn't really. It was a celebration of 50 years. All of them show up at the end. Yes, it's in stock footage, but they all show up. This wasn't that. This wasn't a celebration. This wasn't looking back. This was essentially, let's tie up some loose ends and then go forward. And when you're watching it, you're realising that this is he's, he's come back because this is PTSD, Doctor. Mm-hmm. He's been through so much. And when you look back at it and you think back at it, you think, no, he's not stopped. Or they've not stopped, we should say. Every episode pretty much bled into the other one with certain places where you know you can insert big finish audios and novels for the rest of time because it's only really brought home as well when Tennant says I'm a billion years old Donna he was only like 400 and something when he was David Tennant yeah. so he's lived quite the life since but he hasn't stopped and then when they ream it off like that for you, yeah Amy essentially died Yes, Clara essentially died. Yes, Bill essentially died. You can try and talk your way around it. And I love the way they had the Toy Maker do that. Well, isn't that just fine? 
Yeah. And he'd just do it in that slightly smarmy American accent because he kept bouncing between his accents. That was great, like a game show host. Mm-hmm. And when he points it all out like that, and then the flux were, they destroyed but a quarter of the universe. Nobody seemed bothered. Yeah. That was everyone's biggest criticism about that. So the fact that he mentioned that in the second special was, oh, right, okay, so we are actually going to acknowledge that then. And the fact that he's still carrying that guilt with them as they go forward. And the fact that Tennant looked, ironically, doesn't he look tired in this last one? Yeah. Trying to fit into that whole PTSD thing. So he hasn't slowed down. The Doctor, they haven't slowed down since... It started, really. It's gone from one thing to the next thing. Regeneration stories always lead into the next adventure. And it feels like he's deliberately put a full stop under all that. Because a lot of people are saying, well, why are we making this a new era? Why is this going to be a new season one? And it's like, well, that was an era. That was an entire era. That's gone. Essentially, a new creative team have come on board, if you like comics. Yeah, they're the old creative team, but the same thing applies and we're now going to go forward with this new Doctor, who is now canonically by, oh! and, and and we'll see what happens. And I think it it shows um, how fandom eats its own tail. Uh, I'm a great example of this. In 2008, I was losing my freaking mind over what was going on at Superman because it wasn't my Superman. Mm. And then I realized. Yeah, but years later, talking to people like Bob Fisher, it's just like, oh yeah, that must have been what it was like for the Superman that I love coming in for the for the old mm, thing. nineteen eighty six. Yeah. So when Christopher Eccleston pops up, yes, Doctor Who is returning and it's a big deal, but it was a new series one, correct? Yeah. I don't. I don't think they continued the series numbers from the old thing. Nope. So why not start a new one now? You've had a, let's see, well, it was 2005 when they came back, right? Yeah, well, when you said you've not watched Classic Who, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If this was the Classic Who era, right, you've essentially been watching off and on since John Pertwee was the Doctor, and we are now at Peter Davison. Okay. <laughs> so you've been watching it for a significant chunk of time, Yeah. if you do that comparison. We're now at, what, 19 years since it came back, nearly. Yeah. So that season 19 was Peter Davison's first season. So, yeah, uh, it, it's one of those things where I, I, I knew people were going to be upset about something. I love the fact that they called out the, the woman in the wheelchair. Well, <laughs> I loved that. Do you know what I did? I went and found that guy yeah. who, who was bitching about she crashed her legs in the wheelchair. So she's clearly not disabled. Piss off. And his account has mysteriously disappeared. Oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So Rachel and I are watching that first episode. She crosses her legs and Rachel kind of grabs me. Mm. Um, and she's like, yes, yes. Finally, somebody who's in a wheelchair that isn't completely, completely like paralyzed from the waist down. You know, they can oh. ambulatory wheelchair users. Thank you, babe. Yep. Um, and what she's like, I can't wait to hear somebody complaining about this. So when I told her about your, about you finding that, yep, she got really excited because she was like, "Yes, that's exactly what I wanted." Because <laughs> uh, it's it is. I couldn't believe that was even an issue. Yeah, I don't know. I I honestly don't know if this is a cultural thing because he was young and he was an American, so I don't know. But to me. One, that shows an incredible level of ignorance on behalf of the poster to say, well, she crossed her legs so she can't be a proper wheelchair user. And I actually texted you, she's an actor who's been working for 15 years. In years and years, Mike, she gets out of her chair and actually walks over to the kitchen. It's a miracle. So the fact that she got out of her chair in this one, the first thing I thought, oh, that guy's going to love this. (laughs) But the fact, to take all the joking away from it for a second, because we did rip the piss out of it. It's ignorance. It's ignorance, pure and simple. And it's not... I don't actually blame them for that. I took the piss out of him, mercilessly. But if he comes from somewhere where that has never been their experience, 
then the ignorance is kind of partially excusable. What isn't excusable is in finding out that that actress really has spina bifida and not apologising and saying, oh, okay, I got that wrong, I do apologise, but doubling down on it and saying, well, they should have explained that in the show. Here's your head. I want to introduce it to this table. No, they shouldn't. She should just be there. And this should just be accepted as a perfectly normal person in normal society. And the fact that you are pig ignorant enough to not know that there are some wheelchair users that can't walk with the assistance of a cane, that can cross their legs, that's evidence of more inclusion being necessary, mm -hmm. not less. You muppet. Well, it's... I'll never forget uh, when you were in the States in 2017 and we were, I think it's when we were in Universal because Universal was our first time meeting face to face where you did the mm -hmm. Indiana Jones thing and I just didn't notice until it was too late <laughs> and the gag was afoot. You and Ange clocked people looking at Rachel in her wheelchair mm -hmm. uh, and it seemed to surprise you where for us, it's just like, that's just Tuesday. That, that happens all the time. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, we talked about that because it was one of those things that we were both a bit shocked by it. Because over here, for all of our faults, which are legion, that doesn't seem to be one of them. That doesn't seem to be an issue. Mm -hmm. And we were quite surprised by the level of stirs that Rachel got like why somebody in a wheelchair at a theme park well like she's not allowed to come here and have some fun is she not so that's why Rachel was just waiting for it because she knew it was going to happen right see again that's not a complaint I saw raised over here there was plenty of other complaints and I suppose we should uh, should we talk about that regeneration yeah we should that was um... that was something I think the most visually interesting one. It was a visually interesting one. And there was a brilliant bit where they're in the middle of it. And Angela said, they really ought to finish this pretty quickly before they get stuck. <laughs> but I, I love that the regeneration was, it happened. And I love that finally his last line was Alon Z. Yeah. Rather than that slightly self-pitying, I don't want to go. And then pull me. And they're both like, what? pull him apart and it's i love that it's by by generation it's a time lord myth <laughs> like since when well it's it's it it's one of those things where i'm expecting there to be complaints from more die hard like people who are who are in it for the mythos it's it's almost like you know it's just like why was why was Sir Isaac Newton not white? That's not historically accurate. And someone's like, I get that Christie never fought hornets. So let's... <laughs> I actually saw a really good video where somebody just rattled off, like, for a full two minutes. All these... It's like, you know, the royal family aren't werewolves. But we know of. That we... <laughs> I was waiting for that. Maybe that's why they like the corgis so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know? no i i i really enjoyed it i'm looking forward to the christmas special because i'm looking forward to seeing what this new what this new doctor is going to be like um mm. we got kind of a hint but we don't really see much of much of him um i uh one of the things that i enjoyed um uh, in addition to having really good trans representation in the first special, the fact that throughout it, there were subtle little clues that he is now essentially bisexual. <laughs> oh, I don't think they were subtle, Mike. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, th I, th I think, I think uh, Tennant was very natural with it. It's just like, am I that now? Oh, I guess I'm that now. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, you know. <laughs> but the the entire the regeneration. Thing, the only problem I have with the regeneration thing is it doesn't feel like either one of them got the Jew. Now I know traditionally regeneration is the new guy comes in at the last minute 
and that's it. Yeah. Like, Jody basically got to go, oh, brilliant, and the TARDIS crashed, which is essentially the same thing that Matt Smith got to do. Yeah. And then they get their introductory episode. So at least in this one, he's mixing the formula. Because I've off, I have often thought, why don't they do a regeneration halfway through an episode? And have the new Doctor take over. And they did something like that in the original, in the old show. Colin Baker, Peter Everson regenerated into Colin Baker, but it wasn't the end of a series. Oh, okay. Colin Baker then had another story. So essentially, Peter Everson left one story, five episodes, before the end of the season. And they'd only ever really done that before with Hartnell to Troughton. And that was obviously a completely different television era. So to actually have them both on screen together was interesting. I didn't realize David Tennant was quite that tall. Yeah, because because Neil Patrick Harris is pretty tall, and they were mm. eye to eye basically. And he made shoot. What was interesting was they must have done something in the filming because Shooty Gatwa didn't look that short next to Tennant in the episode but when there was the behind the scenes stuff and they were stood next to each other just chatting Tennant towered over him so but what I loved about the regeneration as well is that he took Tennant's shirt and tie his pants and his shoes so basically the doctor Tennant division was going commando for the rest of that scene is that how it worked <laughs> and I loved as well that they both were just saying the same things mm-hmm to the toy maker. It's like, yeah, this is still the same person, if you can call to somebody from Gallifrey a person. So it's going to be interesting to see if this is ever mentioned again, because I don't think it will be. But I, I'd like the idea. But basically, it, it, I think it's, they didn't, they don't want, Tennant doesn't want to go, literally. Tennant would do Doctor Who for the rest of his life. And he would happily do Doctor Who for the rest of his life. And when they said he's coming back for three specials for the 60th, I said to Ange, no, he isn't. He's not going to go anywhere. He will happily do this for the rest of his career. He'll do all the stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, he he's is at the end kids. of the day an actor. And yeah. <laughs> well, he does 25 voiceovers in every commercial break. So he's not worrying for money. But he does want to do other things, and he does love doing theatre and stuff. But he loves this show so much that I said, he's not going anywhere. They're going to keep him around somehow. And I originally thought it was going to be Geordie's regeneration was fluxed up, which is why he didn't come out wearing her clothes. Yeah. And I thought they were going to have it go from Jodie to Shooty Gatwa, and he was some kind of anomaly. Caused by the flux or, or caused by the time maker or whatever they would have started. I don't know because I didn't know the time maker was in it at that point, but whatever. And then he would go off in his TARDIS and the new doctor would carry on the show because one of the things Russell talked about years ago was, um, yeah, I think it was an interview for years and years or It's a Sin or one of the other things he's done. And they said, Would you go back to Doctor Who? And he played coy about it. He said, I'd like to go back. And it have proper money. And I'd like to be able to do lots of different kinds of shows, not just the main show. And they said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'd love to be able to do a series of mini-series where you bring back past Doctors. So if Paul McGann has a window and he's scheduled to do a 90-minute telly movie, we would do a 90-minute telly movie with Paul McGann. If Matt Smith had a window and he's scheduled to do four episodes, we'd do a four-part episode with Matt Smith. And we'd just do them as like little minis. And that interview came back to me, and I thought, that's what he's going to do with Tennant. I didn't twig that he'd end up being part of Unit, but but if he goes back to Unit, does that not mean that uh, What's-Her-Name loses her job? Because he was the scientific advisor, or can they just afford to pay both? Does he really need money? He may do now, he's living on Earth. Yeah, but he's got a TARDIS. Well, I was thinking that. Do you think he li- still lives in the TARDIS? He doesn't live in Donna's house with Donna. <laughs> I like the brother-sister angle that they have with those two now. Uh, they, the thing that I liked about the ending is that as close as they were, they now seem closer. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's, you know, a lot of, you know, you coming back and they've worked together uh, you know, they were in this brilliant photograph with Rachel and I. Um, mm. 
That's oh no, that counts as working together. I don't know. They were both there and they got paid. So <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but you know, she was Magica on Ducktales uh, when Tennant was Scrooge McDuck, uh, which is still one of my favorite things ever. They had another Doctor Who cast member come on. I forget who it was, but I clocked it. Uh, and I was just like, are they just going to have... And then there's an episode where Webigail literally says, we're in a library, this is the greatest weapon of all. And I'm just like, ah, ah, I see what they did there. Hmm. <laughs> if it's a callback, it's a subtle one <laughs> that most of the people who are not familiar with Doctor Who probably wouldn't get. I, I have to say, the, the greatest part... Uh, of this is the friends we made along the way. No, um, the, 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 the best part is that for three weeks, Rachel and I had something really to be excited about, uh, with new doctor who, uh, we yeah. missed a lot of Jody's later stuff. Like we didn't watch flux as it was happening. We binged it, which by the way, I think was better because <laughs> we started yeah, watching probably. We started watching one episode, and we're like, we're just going to watch one episode. And we ended up watching all of it and her final episode in one evening. (laughs) It's just like, okay, we didn't plan this, but this is is what's happening. We're just going to stay up and do this. Um, So it was just really nice to have that and to have Christmas to look forward to. I'm a little concerned with Disney Plus being involved. Mm. Yeah. are they going to do to Doctor Who what they've done to Marvel? <laughs> he says controversially. I, I, I don't know. And Star Wars. And Star Wars. Uh, I don't know. From everything we've been told, Disney is just the distribution arm worldwide. And because they're the distribution arm, they're, they're giving them a bit of money. Russell has gone repeatedly on television over here doing interviews saying it's not Star Wars money, it's not Star Trek money, but it's more money than the BBC have. Because rather famously, like every other major British institution, the Conservatives are trying to run it into the ground. Because, you know, that's what they do. So he says they don't really have any input creatively. Although they have apparently give him feedback on something and he went oh yeah that's a good idea and he took it so they must have some creative feedback my concern is what do they do after shooting out was done three years when on streaming services it seems that three seasons and you're done and famously another reason it may have gone back to a series one after three series disney have to pay more money to the creatives Mm. now i'm wondering if that'll get circumvented in that technically this isn't a disney show yeah this is a BBC. This is still a BBC show, being made as a co-production. Doctor Who's been made as a co-production lots of times before, so that's not a concern. My concern is they're going to start sticking their oar in and wanting it to be more generic, more generic sci-fi, because they want it to play in the heartlands instead of acknowledging that they've bought something that is very popular but still rather niche. Mm-hmm. in america despite how big it got under matt smith that's still a very small big if you know what i mean yeah i'd love to know what the viewing figures are on disney plus because the only one that's been released over here so far is seven million consolidated for the first episode so i'd like to know what the vi- the viewing figures are because what happens when they get bored of it what is ultimately in it for them to only be a distribution centre. Isn't this a similar problem that we had on network television where Angel was essentially cancelled because the WB got fed up of being a 22-week advert for Fox's box sets, which is where the money was being made at that point? Mm -hmm. Is the same thing not going to happen here? So I don't know. I I am slightly concerned about it because you know my feelings on the mouse yes, and their business practices in certain aspects. Hey, Alan well, at the end Foster. of the day, yeah, well, not just that. How they handled their staff over COVID? Yeah, where they essentially fired them all 
Yeah. And I'm like, what, Disney, you can't afford to keep them employed, can you not? With all them billions of money you've got lying around, you can't do this for your staff while this is going on? Yeah, no, yeah. I was going for the joke. Uh, you're you're hitting on something that's close to home. Uh, and for... that's, uh, since then, I've I've kind of been off them a little bit. And then you've got Bob Iger saying, yeah, yeah, we think the reason the Marvels flopped is because there wasn't enough executives involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because creatively, that's always a good thing. So I don't know. I don't know what I feel about the Disney thing. Because ob- obviously, for me, it's not making the blindest bit of difference. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird because it's not the first time Disney has distrib- distributed Doctor Who. That's actually the first time I ever watched the show was when it was on Disney XD for five mm. minutes. Edited in weird ways. <laughs> Probably a little bit scary for Disney XD. Um, it's not so much that, it's the language no. Uh, like language that doesn't really affect me that they would they would mute out but that's when rachel and i it was we we just happened to tune in for tenant's first proper episode not the christmas special but the mm. the one where he's on new earth and and sees Bo, and that's where i fell in love with david Tennant as doctor because he went from being this kind of goofy guy to being dead serious in a in, a, in an instant and I'm like, this guy's kind of scary. Like, I got that feeling in, 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 in the third special. When he told Donna to go back to the TARDIS, it was just like, oh, this is bad. This is really, really bad. It's interesting as well. Every single actor that they have cast as the Doctor, across the board, is incredibly good at sinister in mm-hmm. other roles. Matt Smith was um, Bateman on stage in American Psycho, and he was brilliant. And David Tennant's done any number of psychos since Doctor Who, and before. When he was announced, um, my wife was like, he can't be the Doctor, he's a psycho, because he'd done this miniseries for ITV called Secret Smile, where he was a coercive controlling boyfriend. And he did the same thing there. In public, he was all smiles and lovely, and in private with his his girlfriend, he was an utter scumbag. And I don't know what it is about that role that means that those actors are capable of leaning into just being utterly sinister. It's going to be interesting to see what Shooter Gatwa does afterwards. Mm-hmm. Because Jodie's just gone from show to show to show since she finished. And she's open and honest about the fact that it's done wonders for her career. Because being a Northern lass, she's quite honest. <laughs> just like Eccleston. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As they say, every planet has a north. <laughs> every planet has a north. So, mostly this was it was quite successful. I think the problem was it wasn't what people were expecting. Yeah. They were expecting a 50th anniversary or a 20th anniversary Five Doctors type thing, which was nostalgia and lots of people came back and it was all shiny and aren't we self-congratulatory? And he's not done that. And I think one of the best things about Russell T. Davis's writing is he doesn't do what you think he's going to do while still giving you what you think you wanted. And he's just grown as a writer since he left Doctor Who. It's a sin. And years and years are two of the best things he's ever done. And if you've not seen him, go and check him out. Years and years is science fiction, so it's still in that ballywick. But uh, it's a sin about the the AIDS crisis in Manchester in the 1980s, which Neil Patrick Harris is in. Oh, okay. Is well worth checking out as well. Both great. So he's, I'm interested in seeing what he does with it now, and where he's going with it. You look at properties like Doctor Who, and you mentioned the 60s, and and we've we've talked off air. I don't know if anybody knows this. We talk like literally every day through Messenger mm. about something. <laughs> something we've seen, something we've read. You you said that this comic's coming out. You seeing that I have obviously done something bad by starting to watch the Flash movie and realizing you have to jump in and do it too so that you can talk me down. <laughs> Well, my favorite is still your um, your therapy session when I was watching Batman vs Superman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we 
I went into it with a fully... I did. You can back me up on this. I went into it with an open mind. I was like, okay, what am I missing? What is it about this that these guys love? It must be me. Right? It must be me that's missing something. It must be me that's not getting it. So I went into it with an open mind. And over the course of the three hours, I think you were like, I don't know if we should get him help. <laughs> yeah, I really. I was like, should I contact Ange? I mean, make sure he's okay. Should I? Should I tell Michael he needs to go home? <laughs> it's like it was good to get it out of my system and realize, no, it's not me. It's the children that are wrong. <laughs> it's funny because in some cases it's not the children who are wrong, in other cases it is the children who are wrong, and in other cases it's everyone's not right and everyone's not wrong. It's just personal taste. I thought of you specifically when they had the British politician sitting there yelling and Donna went, not much change. <laughs> Donna <laughs> says on nothing different than her then. <laughs> I was just like, did Andy write that? <laughs> Well, that entire beginning where they've got the the armbands on that protects them from yeah. it, and then they cut to the Fox News type pundit yeah. going, "I'm not wearing this. It's a message from the deep state to try and control me." And I'm like, Russell's really not taking any shit now, is he? No, he's. <laughs> it's what my friend, uh, my other friend Andy, would call subtle. Um... Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that, that's, I think that's the thing as, as well. I don't think any of these three have been hitting you over the head with any kind of message in any way that was as bad as that episode of Star Trek where Tasha Yar gives us a lectures about drugs being bad. Yeah. There's nothing like that in it. I mean, like I said, that bit at the end of the first one, everyone dogpiled on that because of the male-fronting Time Lord bit. That's not the bit I found funny. <laughs> and it was a clunky bit of dialogue but the rest of it I think certainly the opening to the giggle where he's, he is commenting on social media and um, conspiracy theorists and all that, I thought that was handled in a very fun and entertaining way if I was, you know, perhaps an internet YouTube pundit who'd started making money out of hating this stuff maybe I probably wouldn't find it funny, I don't know I think what it did for me personally was if you're going to talk about humanity tearing itself apart, then mentioning cancel culture is a good way to kind of reinforce it with all of the other things they were talking about. Mm. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I find the one, I'm just kind of weary in general. Uh, with everything <laughs> getting real tired boss <laughs> getting real tired uh but i i think what the toy maker was able to do and what it what this episode kind of hit on is at the end of the day humanity's worst enemy is humanity mm-hmm. it's not an alien invasion it's not you know to a certain extent it's one army go rising up against another army but we will tear ourselves apart faster than anything else there's a great twilight zone episode where the like the power is going out in this neighborhood and they all turn on each other you on maple street and they all turn on each other and i'm like this is serling really was tapping into that kind of we will turn on each other. We will hate the other, you know, just f- because we don't understand what's going on and we never learn our lesson. So having the toy maker just weaponize that, I just love it. Everyone thinks they're right. <laughs> like the guy yelling about how he pays taxes. So he gets to decide what happens on the road. I was just like, this is, this is, Premium social commentary. Uh, whose idea was it to use a Spice Girls song? <laughs> loves his pop music. Russell T. Davis really? loves his pop music. Okay. Yep. His argument being, you try and write a song. Because he said this on the thing afterwards, the uh, behind the scenes thing. He said, you try and write a song that is as poppy and as busy as that and as entertaining as that and that 20 years later everyone still knows. Go on. It's not easy. 
are they? But they, they, they followed that up with Neil Patrick Harris saying, I had never heard of this song. He said, everyone on set knew all the words except me. And I'm like, the Spice Girls made it big in America, didn't they? I went to see the Spice Girls movie in the theater. I was one of two people in that theater, to be fair. <laughs> no, Spice Girls were big over here. We, uh... So... So when he says, as an American, I didn't know it, he's only speaking because he does clarify it with, well, this American didn't know it. Yeah, I... Because I, I meant to ask you about the Spice Girls song. I wonder if it's because he was just working so much that it didn't penetrate. I mean, because when the Spice Girls was popular, it was when he was in Starship Troopers. So... And I suppose it depends what music he likes yeah. as well, because he doesn't go into that. He doesn't say what music he likes to listen to. If you don't like pop music and pop music stations, he won't listen to any of it. He, uh, I especially liked him doing the card tricks because he is a huge lover of magic. Uh, and that's sort of... he actually said that he did all that himself. He said when the inserts the hands are normally somebody else. In this case, it's not. It's Neil Patrick no, I, doing it all. I, 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 I clocked that because I was just like, that's got to be him because he loves this kind of stuff. I could see him mm. just doing it. And it's it's fascinating just to think of his career trajectory. Uh, you know, he, he did a movie with Whoopi Goldberg that got him noticed. Doogie Howser was really popular uh, for the time it was on television. And then he just ended up... <laughs> I think his, despite being in, in Starship Troopers, I think what really put him on the map right before How I Married Your, uh, How I Met Your Mother was his role in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, where he just played himself as a coked out guy who they just pick up. In, have you ever seen Harold and Kumar? I have never seen Harold and Kumar. It's a weird movie. Um, <laughs> but basically they're, they're wanting the 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 plot is as the title suggests they they're going to White Castle in the middle of the night and they get into shenanigans and one of those shenanigans is they pick up Neil Patrick Harris mm. who keeps talking about wanting to get laid with women which was hysterical uh, <laughs> but yeah i think how I met your mother is what kind of cemented him over here as eternal in terms of being an actor and in the in the public uh, consciousness. My only claim to fame with Neil Patrick Harris is uh, Michael's girlfriend Dana's met him. Really, filming it's a sin. Uh, he filmed on the back streets of Manchester near where she used to work in a bar, and he came into the bar. So oh. she said she had a nice chat with him, and she said he was very nice. He strikes me as kind of a laid back kind of guy. And it's probably easier in England. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't know. But yeah, because if you ever watch it, they live above Clampdown Records. It's set in London, but it's filmed in Manchester. That Clampdown Records is, is in Manchester. They didn't do any dressing to make it look like the 1980s. The back end of Manchester still looks like that. Well, didn't they not have to do much dressing to make Manchester look like 1940s New York? Well, no, they did. They say that, but because I, as you know, I got to walk down the, the all of the front dressings were changed. Oh, okay. And the car, they did a lot of of um, dressing of the set for that. My favorite bit in that is he's chasing um, Richard Armitage through the back alleys of Manchester, and the next thing he's at the uh, docks in Liverpool. I mean, I know Captain America can run for a distance, but come on. Well, you know, he just took that same route that um, Robin Morgan Hood Freeman Hood. and Kevin Costner took in Robin yeah. Hood, Prince of Thieves, where they're on the White Cliffs of Dover. <laughs> you like, do know that Nottingham's a fur bit away. It's it's just like why are American Werewolf in London? I mean, <laughs> it's bitten on the moors in uh, Yorkshire. Gets taken to a hospital in London. What? That is why Baby Driver is the most accurate Atlanta movie you will ever watch because he actually traveled routes that are like you can clock where things are mm. if you're in this area. No, it was very enjoyable. I uh, not as big as the 50th, but I don't think the 60th should be as big as the 50th. I I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really happy that you know they made a big deal about Superman's 85th anniversary this year. It has only been five years since we celebrated the 80th anniversary. 
and only 10 years since we celebrated the 75th anniversary. I'm tired. Yeah, maybe they should leave it for the 100th. No, it's going to be, you know, they're going to do a whole thing and, you know, with the 90 incorporating mm-hmm. it. Because, you know, it's really what they're doing is 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 ramping up for the Batman of it all. Yes. Though I say that, you know, I don't think Batman's as popular as he was a couple years ago. He's not had any successful films. <laughs> Looks at camera. <laughs> no, I, I think the Batman was the Batman. I don't remember. I don't remember if the Batman. It certainly doesn't seem to have had the impact that the Christian Bale ones had. I still haven't finished it. Oh, okay. I find it incredibly boring. No, that's fair. It is three hours of. Oh, okay. I like the music. Music's good, and Colin Farrell as the Penguin is is was kind of where I woke up a little bit. But so your 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 big opening is him fighting a gang. That that's your big opening and showing how seedy Gotham City is. I mean, you're not exactly breaking new ground. It's why I'm glad they're doing like a Batman and Robin movie <laughs> to start the next franchise because at least that will be different. <laughs> Yeah, and I hope they remember at some point that there should be some fun in it. Because Doctor Who never seems to forget that it should be fun. No, they even when it gets serious, it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it, there, there are moments of levity. It's why I kind of appreciated the Jody run, uh, in, in all honesty. I, I thought the first series was... This is weird. I thought the first series was stronger than the second series. However, I really liked the new Master. So it's kind of weird. Well, that was interesting as well, wasn't it? Who picked up the gold tooth? Yeah, Rachel. Rachel was wondering that too. Because the last time somebody with red fingernails picked up the gold tooth, we got Missy. I'd rather they keep Sasha Dewan. I just liked the reveal. Yeah, yeah. I was because when he said Spymaster, I grabbed Rachel's arm. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. Though Rachel clocked Captain Jack's voice before I did, so mm. she had that one up on me. Yeah, I think that there's no need to change the master every time you change the doctor. I think they should keep Sasha Dewan. That seems to be an unpopular opinion, too. Well, to keep him. Yeah. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the first time, Mike. <laughs> Cut cut to uh, kazoo version of the heart will go on from Titanic as you're standing on an island as the camera slowly pulls oh. away. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time I've been left on the island as the hey, boat has uh, sailed by. I was just talking to a buddy today on, on, on the artist formerly known as Twitter that I do not understand the abject love people have for Superman's secret identity by, by Kurt Busiek. Mm. And I seem to be the only Superman fan that feels this way. It's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't think it's good. I just don't get it. <laughs> I liked it. I don't think it's a Superman story. It's See, a story about my... how Superman has affected the world. But it's not See... a Superman story. And that's the thing, and, and, and this is something else that I, I think is very common with Superman fans as we, we start slowly walking away from Doctor Who, um, is that I think they like stories about Superman as much as they like Superman stories, mm-hmm. where I feel like I just want a Superman story. <laughs> I don't constantly have to explore who this character is and what he represents to the world. No, just give us a decent one. Yeah. Gail Simone did the boxes then give us your four favorite stories from X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman and Batman. And I was I was a little bit disheartened by how many of them were just I don't really read Superman so I'm going to go for death off. And I'm like, "Really?" I picked I like Superman that. 400. I... <laughs> Shocking. I know. No one else well, had picked it though. So, well, thank you for letting me talk Doctor Who with you. Uh, you it's are right. 
You are one of my Doctor Who sponsors, you and Shag. And the reason why I had that is with Doctor Who, I need two hearts. Uh, <laughs> and there's nobody on the planet that has that, so I have to choose two people. <laughs> well, I was wondering that as well when he's bi-generated. Does he only have one out now? Did he split his hearts? Ooh. Are you awake, Rachel? Does he have only one heart now? Yeah, basically, if you, I'm looking at it, it's basically, it's like, this is like, you know how cells split to create two? Yeah, it makes sense that he would still have two hearts, because I'm thinking that it's going to be like the original species of whatever the Doctor is. This is how they reproduce, like how cells split to make two cells. They still both have a copy of everything. So He's it still makes sense fully Gallifreyan. Yeah, and he says he's still fully Gallifreyan, so... Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Okay. You... Well, you, you, you asked. I did, but I but I appreciate did. the... I, I appreciate you expounding upon that. Oh, it's a good idea. I, don't, I didn't think they would change that. I didn't think they'd make it so he doesn't have two hearts anymore. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a good question, though. I'd like to throw that out to social media and see people fight over it. Yes, yes, they probably will. Do you have sovereign citizens over there? I've never heard of that. There is a group of people in this country andy that believe that they are sovereign and therefore do not have to obey the laws of the united states because they are not a part of it oh we do have that they're called conservative politicians <laughs> hey <-o! laughs>